not here in the sanctuary during the sermon time last week because I was with the kids teaching Sunday school, the, the Apostles' Creed. Sometimes people ask, do you ever get nervous when you preach in front of 800 people or so? And I said, no, I don't. But I do get nervous doing a Bible study with three in, or third grade and fourth grade students. It was incredibly nerve-wracking. I knew all last week that that day was coming, and I couldn't sleep. Uh, it was... It was so during the, the class, we we're going through the Apostles' Creed, and I asked, I got to the point of the Creed where I said, was there any questions that you guys have? Is there any part of the Creed that's confusing? And one of the kids asked, yeah, who's Pontius Pilate? To which the second kid asked, yeah, that doesn't make sense. They didn't even have planes back then. <laughs> so. Some of you guys will get that in about five minutes from now. <laughs> so. And I didn't know how to respond. Like, I was just speechless. So let's pray. <laughs> Lord, we want to thank you for bringing us together here this morning. And Lord, we, uh, we acknowledge that we are a mixed bag. And Lord, there are people that are coming in here with full, full of joy. And, um, and there are others that are just in a place of discouragement and loss. And Lord, we thank you that you are sovereign over all things, that you can hold all things in your mighty hand. Holy Spirit, we pray that you stir in our hearts a noble theme. Stir in our hearts, Lord, a desire and a longing to worship you, King Jesus. Lord, in all things, may you be lifted up and glorified. Minister to the hearts of your people here this morning. And we ask this all in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We are in a sermon series called Seek, and it's a, it's a sermon series on prayer. And the first week that we... Uh, broached this uh, topic in the first Sunday of Lent was seek first the kingdom of God along all other things to be added, that what our life is to be characterized by is by seeking first the kingdom. And then last week, Katie preached on seeking the kingdom through repentance. And then this week, we're going to be looking at what does it mean to seek the Lord in the context of lament? Raise your hand. I don't normally do this, but raise your hand if you've ever gone through a season in your life where it was incredibly difficult, painful, you cried out to God, and God seemed silent. Raise your hand. Keep your hand up. If you went through a difficult, painful season in life, you cried out to God, and God seemed late. Raise your hand. Keep it up. Everybody keep your hands up. Raise your hand if you have gone through a difficult season in your life where it was painful, it was filled with heartache, you cried out to God, and it seemed like God was uncooperative. Raise your hand. No, keep it up. Don't, don't lower it down. Raise it up. Raise your hand if you went through hardships and difficulties. You cried out to God, and he did not come through in the way that you thought that he should come through. Raise your hand. Seriously, raise it up. Keep it up. Now, for those, for those that are going through a difficult time right now, Look around the sanctuary that you may know that you are not alone. If you're going through a hardship, a challenge, a loss, grieving, you're going through a season of lament, know that you are not alone. That not only is the Lord with you, but there is a community that is with you. And the resource that God gives us is not protection from pain, but redemption through pain. And that path of redemption from pain 
to redemption is the path of lament. So today as we look at lament, we're going to see what is lament, why lament is important, and then how do we as a community but also as an individual lament. What is lament? Why is lament important? Secondly, or thirdly, then how do we lament? First, what is lament? We're going to be going through an entire book of the Bible called Lamentations. The entire book is dedicated towards lament. And on the screen, you'll see uh, uh, the structure of Lamentations, five chapters. It's five poems. And this is from Tim Mackey. This is how he structures it. These five poems are incredibly interesting because they take place in the context of a Jerusalem that has just gone through its largest travesty in the history of the, of the people of God. They, 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 they had the promises of God. They had the land that was given to them by God. They had the leaders that God had given them. But because of their unfaithfulness, the temple, the land, and their leaders were taken away. And the book of Lamentations was written in the midst of the siege, of the midst of the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. The temple was destroyed. The people were removed from the land. And there was decimation everywhere you looked. And it's in that context that the book of Lamentations was written. Now, in each one of the chapters, save one, chapters one through four, is structured like an acrostic. So in the Hebrew alphabet, you have 22 letters, you know, A, B, C, D, all the way through 22 letters. And the way chapters one through four are structured is that each verse begins with the letter of the alphabet, and then the next verse begins with the subsequent letter of the alphabet. So it's like A, verse one, B, verse two, C, verse three, so on and so forth until you get to the end of the alphabet. It's the A to Z of suffering. It's the A to Z of lament. And this is the gift that God gives his people even in the midst of destruction, in the midst of devastation, in the midst of incredible pain. So chapter one, the theme is Lady Zion. Lady Zion is Jerusalem itself. And keep in mind, that they had been given the temple, they had been given the promises of God, they have been given the leaders from God, they have been given the land from God, and now they're in the midst of utter and complete devastation and destruction. And it's out of that context that chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 is written. How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she who once was great among the nations. She who is queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night, tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there is no one to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her. They have become her enemies. Lady Zion is weeping. 22 verses, lament, lament, lament. And then we get into chapter two, which is the theme of the fall of Jerusalem. Again, 22 verses. It's an acrostic. 22 verses going through the entire alphabet, highlighting the lamentation and the destruction of Jerusalem. It's the fall of Jerusalem, chapter 2, verse 11. And the language is stark. The poet of Lamentations writes, My eyes fail from weeping. I am in torment within. My heart is poured out on the ground because my people are destroyed, because children and infants faint in the streets of the city. Children are dead, lying on the street without nourishment. It's in complete and utter destruction. And then by the time we move from chapter two into chapter three, chapter three and the way it's structured, chapter three is the climax of the entire book of Lamentations. 
Chapter one mirrors chapter two, five, two, three, but it, or two, four. But in the center is the, is the middle of it all, the center of it all. At the center of the chapter is the highlight of what the psalmist is, or the, the poet is trying to communicate to his people. And if you look at chapter three, it's unlike any other chapter because it's not 22 verses, it's actually 66. And the acrostic is still in play. And it's not A, B, C, D. Every three verses is with the subsequent letters. So it's A, 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 verses one through three. B, 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 verses four through six. C, 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 verses seven through nine. And it goes through for the next 66 verses. But it still follows that same theme. And at the center of it all is verses 21 through 24. Keep in mind, every verse up to this point is despair. Every verse up to this point is discouragement, pain, and a sense of hopelessness. But then we get to verse 21 and it says, yet, yet, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassion never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Now, oftentimes when we, you know, this is a popular passage, and we have entire hymns written after this passage. Great is thy faithfulness. Now, if you Google Lamentations 3, 21 through 24, and then put pictures right beside that, what you will get is pictures, well, like this. You'll get mountains, flowing streams, gradually, you know, sloping mountainsides, maybe somebody sipping a cup of coffee. (laughs) Great is thy faithfulness. Listen, this was not the setting of Lamentations chapter 3. What was the setting of Lamentations 3? This. This is a picture of Turkey after the earthquake, when the city lies in ruins and rubble. The setting of Lamentations is a worn, torn country. Everything has been decimated. Everything has been destroyed. And it's in the midst of that context that the poet cries out, great is your faithfulness. And in the midst of it all, what you have in the context of lament is not only a raw honesty about the pain and the difficulties of this world, but it's also coupled with the hope that we have only in God. And that's the power of lament. And then you get to chapter four and it continues to go on with lament after lament. In fact, it's the siege of Jerusalem. You have, again, 22 verses because it continues with the acrostic theme. But instead of children playing in the streets, you now have children groveling in the dirt. And instead of leaders leading the people of God, you have leaders going out into exile in chains. And what's so painful for those that are watching is that because it's the, it's the neverness that is so difficult. Never again will they see the temple. Never again will they see the land. An entire generation has been wiped out. Never again will they see their loved ones. It's the neverness that is so painful. The neverness that is so difficult. In the words of Nicholas Walterstorff, in his book, Lament for His Son, and he lost his 25-year-old son to a climbing accident. And he writes in his book, it's the neverness that is so painful. Never again to be here with us. Never to sit with us at a table. Never to travel with us. Never to laugh with us. Never to cry with us. Never to embrace us as he leaves for school. Never to see his brothers and sisters marry. 
All the rest of our lives, we must live without him. Only our death can stop the pain of his death. Complete despair, complete devastation. That's chapter four. And by the time you get to chapter five, the pain is so great, it just bursts the banks of disappointment and discouragement. Because in verse five, yes, it still has 22 verses, but it has ceased to follow the acrostic theme. It doesn't go A, B, C, and D. The, the, the order that we saw in chapters one through four has been given way to disorder. There's no longer an acrostic. It's like you sense the pain and the disappointment of the poet, and he can't hold it in anymore. And the lament just breaks the banks. The pain and the suffering. And then what's so interesting, ironic, is that by the time that you get to the end of chapter five, this is what the poet says, verse 19. You, Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us so long? There it is. Lord, you reign forever. Lord, why do you forgive us? Forget us. So which is it? Is it recognizing that the Lord reigns and rules over all things? Is it that the Lord is compassionate, that we can have our hope in him? Or is it being brutally honest with the pain and the difficulties of this world? Which is it? Yet. Which is it? It's yes. It's both. That's the power of lament. That's what lament is. It's holding on one hand the difficulties and the pains of this world but it's also recognizing that we have a God who is sovereign over all things, that he's compassionate, and that we can bring the brokenness of the world, the brokenness of our world, to God. That's the power of lament. Lament is recognizing that generation after generation, that there is pain, that there is difficulty, but we have a God who is compassionate and gracious and sovereign over all things, and that we can bring our brokenness and the brokenness of the world to him. Stacy Gladysmith says, a lament honestly and specifically names a situation or circumstance that is painful, wrong, or unjust. In other words, a circumstance that does not align with God's character and therefore does not make sense with God's kingdom. Lament is the language of a people who believe in God's sovereignty but live in a world with tragedy. Lament is bringing the brokenness of the world to God. That's what lament is. Why do we need lament? The reason why we need lament is we are tempted to fall into one of two ditches. Either to focus so much on the pains and the difficulties of this world that we lose hope. And when that takes place, we're finding ourselves in a ditch of hopelessness, a, a ditch of despair. And if we stay in there too long, that's a ditch of despair that leads to death. But on the other extreme, we could focus so much on the hope of the resurrection, which we have in Jesus Christ, absolutely. But if we only focus on the hope without being utterly realistic about the pains and the difficulties of this world, what that makes us is a Pollyanna, triumphalistic naivete. And when that happens within us, we are prone to say insensitive things to others that are, all, that are, that are going through difficult times in their life. Insensitive things like, you're going through a difficult time, it must mean that God wants your faith to be stronger and that you just are called to be closer to God. Or, the Lord knows that you can handle this. Or, I'm sure the Lord will give you another baby. Again, Nicholas Walterstorff, 
But please, please don't say it's not really so bad because it is. Death is awful, demonic. If you think your task as comforter is to tell me that really all things considered, it's not so bad, you do not sit with me in my grief, but place yourself off in the distance away from me over there. You are of no help. What I need to hear from you is that you recognize how painful it is. I need to hear from you that you are with me in my desperation. To comfort me, you have to come close. Come sit beside me on my morning bench. CCLI, which is the uh, copyright and licensing industry for worship songs that are sung on, uh, during worship services, they keep track of the songs that are being played on, during the services. And in 2017, they discovered that there were less than 5%, less than 5% of the total songs that were sung during the worship service were lament. And yet, when we look at the Psalter, 150 psalms, one-third of the psalms are dedicated towards lament. 50 psalms, recognizing the pain and the difficulties of this world, but also recognizing the goodness and the greatness and the compassion of our great God and King. One-third, and then you have entire books of the Bible that are dedicated towards lament, Job, Lamentations, and entire scriptures, sections of scriptures that are dedicated to it, in Ezekiel and Jeremiah. The Bible is serious about lament. Because if we don't lament, we are prone to either become Pollyannish or fall into a pit of despair. But if we want to follow the path of redemption, that path is only walked through lament. Lament is the language of loss. It's the solution for our silence. It's the category for complaints. It's the framework for our feelings. It is the way we worship. The cup of God's suffering was most full on the cross. And what does Jesus say? He laments, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And at that moment, redemption was birthed. On the cross, my God, my God, he cries out in lament. And in that moment, redemption was birthed. From pain to redemption, you have to go through the path of lament. That's why lament is so important. Lament is the pathway from pain to redemption. So, how do we engage in lament? How do we do it? Out of, uh, in Mark Vrogop's book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, he, he identifies four components of lament, uh, and it's the address, the complaint, the ask, and the trust. The address is, is when the psalmist or the, the poet says, my God, my God, Lord, O oh Lord, and then he goes into the complaint, why have you forgotten me? Why aren't your promises coming forward? Why are my enemies surrounding me? So there's the complaint that's given, but then there's the, the ask. Lord, turn your face towards me. Listen to me. Remember your covenant. You are compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So in the midst of the complaint, then there's the ask. And then lastly, there's this usually, usually but not always, you have some Psalms that don't have that stand of trust at the end, like Psalm 88, where it begins in darkness and it ends in darkness. But most Psalms end with a stand of trust. But I will trust in you, for you are faithful. I will hold fast to you, because you are faithful. And then he has in his book, towards the end and in the appendices, a way that we as a community, a way as you as an individual can engage in lament. And so what he does is he has the categories on the side. And by the way, this isn't a movement that goes from one, two, three, four, you know. It's like, it's mixed up. It's not quite that clean. 
But usually in the Psalms of Lament, it will have each one of these four categories. And then within the categories, so for example, in Psalm 13, it says, how long, O Lord, how long, O Lord? Then the complaint, how long will you forget me? Will you hide your face from me? Day after day, I wrestle with my thoughts. Day after day, there's sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? And then he cries out with an ask, a petition. Remember me, Lord. Look upon me. Answer me. Give light to my eyes. And then he has a stand of trust, the last two verses of the psalm. But I will trust in your unfailing love. In your hesed, my heart rejoices in your salvation. And this is a great exercise. If you're going through a season of lament, this is a great exercise that you can engage in. Doing the same thing, having the movements on the left, identifying a psalm of lament, and recognizing the different movements within the psalm, but then also having your own personal lament. So what is your personal lament? It is, Lord, our Lord, I recognize that you're here. Turn your face toward me. And then there's the complaint. Lord, have you forgotten me? Why does it feel like I'm in a situation that I'm in? And it can be a communal lament, but it can also be a personal lament. Again, Mark Vrogop says, lament speaks in all the sorrows of life. No matter how small or big, sorrow could enter your life because of unfulfilled longings, loneliness, an ailing body, or an unfair supervisor at work. It could come in the form of a job loss, financial struggles, a broken engagement, or ongoing conflict in a marriage. Our hearts can groan under the weight of infertility, cancer, a failed adoption, an adulterous spouse, a wayward child. The longer we live, the more pain we see. And then it goes into the ask. Lord, in light of my situation, arise, O Lord, arise. We need your help. Lord, remember your covenant. Turn your face toward me. Remember me, Lord. And then finally, but Lord, I put my trust in you. And this is how we can engage in lament. What is lament? It's bringing the brokenness of our world to God. Why is it so important? Because the path from pain to redemption is walked through the path of lament. How do we engage? This is how we can engage. And so now we're going to enter into a time of lament. I want to um, welcome up Caitlin and um, Amy. They're going to lead us to a, through a song of lament and as we go through this song, and then after the song, just invite the Holy Spirit to, to do his work in your heart. And then after the song, we're going to go through a time where we can lament. Lament the different losses that are within our life, whether big or small. And then after that time, then we're going to have an opportunity to hear the words of hope, even in the midst of our lament. But I want to end with this. Last night, I received a text from Tanner and Michaela Howard. And after I read the text, I reached out to them and I asked them if I could share this with you all this morning. They said yes, and that I could share their name. This is what they write. A little over two weeks ago, at 16 weeks pregnant, we learned our baby had no heartbeat. Almost two weeks ago, I underwent surgery to have his body taken out of mine. My husband and I felt a type of loss. We so wanted this child. We're so excited for him and anticipated his birth. After our baby's death, we didn't know where to go or how to process any of it. The future we had begun to plan with such joy and excitement was ripped apart so quickly. There was so much grief, a lot of fear, and a sense of hopelessness in the days following my procedure. 
And God intervened. God intervened. He sent his church after us. We were provided for with meals every night. Friends from church came and sat with us, listened to us, cried with us. A handful of mothers from church came around me and shared their stories of loss and their stories of hope. The Lord sent images and pictures and visions, both to us and some friends, of our baby being held by Jesus, feasting at his table, smiling and seen and cared for. We were deeply prayed for, deeply cared for, and have never felt less alone in our lives. The Lord sought us out in our grief, and he made space for us to then seek him. He infused our grief with his peace, relief, joy, and hope, and what felt like an unnatural sense of calm. He showed us through his people that he is bigger than we ever could have imagined and held and holds us and our babies so closely. His tender mercies were heaped on us in our darkest moment. He ran to us in our grief and has so deepened our sense of his presence. 